Hey, thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Radiant Church. Great to be with you. And uh, this is a a morning of favorites for me because... uh, I love David Perkins. He's one of my close and dear friends. And you know somebody loves you and likes you when they let you come and preach at their church when they're not there. Because you could really make a mess of things if you're not careful. Uh, but he, I've had him, I don't know, I think probably 20, 25 times at Radiant and Kalamazoo over the years. And uh, we've become great friends. And then also it's a favorite weekend because for two other things, number, number two is uh, Katie Reed, when she leads worship, is probably one of the greatest worship leaders in America today. And uh, I told David, the, you know, the, if you weren't so close, I would do everything in my power to pray and fast her to move to Kalamazoo. But uh, David's committed, uh, and she's just a, such a gift to this house. And you guys all need to know that sometimes when you're in the middle of something, you don't recognize the, the, the beauty and the miracle of what you're in the middle of. But David's leadership and then the worship and the, the presence of God in this place is significant. And, uh, and then the other reason why it's a favorite is because I lived in Kansas City for a couple of years and uh, I'm a Detroit Lions fan, which, come on. Okay, let me, let's just talk about this for a second. Okay, so you know I'm a man of great faith because... I've been praying. I, I will know that Jesus is on the horizons when they win a playoff game. But uh, living here for a couple of years, my AFC team is the Kansas City Chiefs. And so uh, today we're going to be believing God for an easy miracle over the Browns, right? It's going to be easy. Come on. Any, are there Browns fans in here? Really? There will be an altar call at the end of the service, so you can get right with God. So... It's, it's an honor to be here with you guys this morning, and I want to bring a message to you uh, out of Mark chapter 4. If you would turn and look with me in your Bibles or turn your Bible on, however you do that, uh, the title of the message is Unwavering Faith, Unwavering Faith, and this is a message I'm going to share with you that was born out of the early days of 2020 uh, when the COVID reality kind of uh, took us all by surprise. And this is a message I delivered to our church, but over the last several months, I felt like the Lord said, no, Lee, I want you to bring this and I want you to speak this to the church. And so this evening, I'm gonna be driving up to Omaha with your pastor and I'll be preaching up there. And this is the message. And it's not because it's a cookie cutter message. I really believe that uh, this is the voice of the Lord speaking to the church, speaking to each and every one of our hearts and, and positioning us for what he has in store. So Mark 4 Beginning in verse 35, it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. And he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, 
peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Lord, today we're asking that you would give us ears to hear what you are speaking to us, your people, in the place that we're living, in the time that we're living. We need to hear your voice, your preceding words. So Lord, today, speak to us. Give us ears that are tuned in to the frequency of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a, this is a storm that occurred on a, just an average day. The disciples you know, are following Jesus. Jesus said, let's cross over the Sea of Galilee and go to the other side. This would have been a journey that these disciples would have already have made hundreds, if not thousands of times in their life. They've grown up on the Sea of Galilee. They know the five and a half miles across from where they are to the other side. They know every aspect of the Sea of Galilee. They know the, the deep places. They know where the fish are. They, they know the currents. They also know what storms can do on the sea. This would not have been their first storm. It would have been a very significant storm because it took them by surprise. And on this particular day, they get into the boat. Jesus is with them. They're crossing over to the other side. And as they get in the middle, the storm arises of a very strong proportion that very, that very much threatens them and threatens their security. It threatens their safety. It threatens their, their, uh, their ability to get to the other side. And Jesus, the whole time, is in the stern of the boat asleep. And this storm arises in the middle of their journey, and it begins to threaten them. It begins to, it begins to reveal some things, because storms are always the great revealer in our life. Storms serve a lot of different purposes, but one of the main purposes that storms serve is they reveal things. They reveal things about us that cannot be revealed in other times and other seasons of our lives, and they reveal things about God that you would not otherwise know. And I feel like uh, the, the picture of storms is a perfect expression of what all of us have been in over the last several months. I mean, I think a lot of people thought, you know, when March came and uh, they, we found out about this pandemic. In fact, the month before it, I had been in Hong Kong. Jane and I were my wife of 28 years. We were there doing missions and, and uh, walking around the markets of Hong Kong and, and uh, in the subways and I remember thinking to ourselves, it's like, why, are, why does everybody wear masks over here all the time? And, you know, and we started hearing a little bit about this outbreak that was taking place in China. Never in a million years did we think it was coming to America. When it did, we kind of all thought, or at least a lot of us thought, well, this is going to last, you know, a couple of weeks. And then it stretched into several months. And then I know that in January of this year, I think a lot of people thought to themselves, okay, 2020 is over now. And so on, just, on January 1st, it's like going to be, whoo, it's all over. And then when it didn't end, and January 2nd came, I think a lot of people got fatigued. Where it's just like, when is this going to end? What is going on? Why is this happening? What's our new reality? All the things that people are asking are happening, and we have come to realize whether it was in week two, week three, week four, or month six, or January of 2021, we've realized that we find ourselves in a storm. 
a spiritual storm, an emotional storm, uh, an economic storm, a political storm. You name, the, you name the issue in America, you name the idol of America, and it has been challenged over the last several different months. And it has been a storm. But one of the things that storms do that happened in this particular story is storms reveal things. Because a storm, just like has happened in our life, it comes out of nowhere. Nobody premeditates or plans for a storm. You don't get a push notification on your phone that says, prepare for a difficult season of your life is about to arrive and you need to fortify yourself. It comes suddenly. And when storms come, they oftentimes, most of the time, they come in the comfort zones of our life. So the disciples, they're used to the Sea of Galilee. This is their backyard. But now here they are in the middle of the sea and a storm meets them in their place of comfort. The comfort zone becomes a battle zone. And now they're having to confront the issues that are being revealed to them that would have never been revealed in the very calm waters of the Sea of Galilee without a storm. Things begin to be revealed in them. And, and here's what storms most oftentimes reveal, is that the greatest issues in the storms are not the wind and the waves on the outside of the boat. It's the wind and the waves. It's the fear and the doubt that emerges inside of our hearts when we are confronted with storms. It's like when things begin to shake, when things that we thought were comfortable and stable that we had control over, that we could just kind of put on autopilot, when things are good, when things are comfortable, when things are easy, it's like there are aspects of who we are, issues that may lie in our heart that we don't see. And there are also aspects of who God is as our Father that we will never see unless we allow him to take us into a storm. See, Jesus told the disciples where he was taking them, didn't he? He said, let's go to the other side. So they got in the boat, Jesus is there, he's sleeping. But even though he was taking them to the other side of the lake, he also was taking them to the middle of the lake to reveal to them the other side of them. And then to reveal to them the other side of God. Because there's a, a side to you and me that we are very comfortable with. It's like, well, I love God with all my heart. I love going to church. I love people. I would die for my faith. I mean, all of these things that are the one side of us, but when pressure comes, when the storm comes, other storms begin to emerge. Dross begins to rise up in our heart that we did not know that was there. When you put fire to gold, that's how you purify gold because the fire reveals the impurities that are there. Storms do the very same thing. And what was revealed in these disciples were two things, fear and doubt. Think about what they said to Jesus while he's sleeping in the boat. Fear because they said waves were breaking and threatening their security. So fear. Fear rose on the inside of them. You know what fear is? Fear is a demonic spirit that paints a picture of your future without God in it. You see, the Bible says that this, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. But the counterfeit of faith is the spirit of fear. It's a demonic imposition on your imagination 
where the enemy begins to paint and to project a future that is destructive, that is destroyed, that is full of shame. It, it shows your life capsized. And so we begin to think about that. And what happens is our soul and our spirit respond to that vision. We all know that hindsight is prophetic, right? Because it's like anybody can look back and see things and be prophetic and say, oh, God was in it. But when you're in the middle of a storm, the immediate response, emotional response oftentimes is fear. It's like, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna lose everything. Life's never gonna be the same. God's not good. Why has God allowed this to happen in our lives? If he was good, we would never be here. It's fear. The disciples experienced that too. They looked at the waves, they looked at the wind, they saw the threats, and immediately they said to Jesus, they said, don't you care? What's that? It's doubt. If you would ask the disciples on the shore, do you doubt who Jesus is? No, man, I mean, we believe in Jesus. He's a healer, he's the feeder, he's the Messiah, he's the son of God. But get in the middle of the storm with Jesus in their boat and the waves became bigger, the, the wind was louder than the silent peace of Jesus in the middle of their boat. And they said, don't you care? You know, we can condemn the disciples, but I think the reality is we probably all at one time or another said to Jesus, in the middle of a storm, don't you care? Don't you care? The Bible says in James about being double-minded, it says in verse five, six, for the one who doubts is like the waves of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Do you see that storm language there that's connected to doubt? And it says, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord for he's double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Here's what fear and doubt produce in our lives, instability. But why, if God is so good, why does he put us into positions like storms where fear and doubt can manifest themselves, where fear and doubt become evident. He doesn't reveal those parts of you, that other side of you that you don't obviously naturally see. He doesn't do that to shame you and say, oh, you're a terrible Christian. Look at how you've responded. He doesn't do that to disqualify you. He doesn't do that to judge you. He does it so that he can reveal the other side of who he is. You see, he's the God who in the middle of the storm is at peace. He's the God who stands up and says, why are you afraid? Do you really, I mean, think about this storm or any other storm. Do we really think that this caught God off, off, off guard? Like he's in heaven going, I didn't see this one coming. Man. Hey, Jesus, you got a plan? What, how should we address this? I mean, what should we do right now? Gabriel, how about you? You got any ideas? Let's call the divine council together. We got a problem to solve this. Get the whiteboard out. Let's figure this out. He's in the stern of the boat. He's in our lives. He's with us. And he's not here. He's not revealing these things to disqualify us. He's showing us the other side of us so that he can show us the other side of him. There was a side of Jesus the one who commands the storms, the one who speaks peace, the one who's not shaken, that the disciples would never have seen without a storm. See, because let me tell you something about Jesus. Storms do not wake him. They do not shake him. They unveil him. They unveil Jesus. If you've ever been in the middle of a storm, 
personally, emotionally, even culturally. In those moments, Jesus is ready to stand up in our lives and say, now let me show you who I am. I'm stronger than what's going on. I'm a miracle worker. I'm a way maker. I'm the God who's faithful until the end. I'm with you. I'm the one who, even in the midst of the fiery trials, draws closer to you. I'm the one that Paul spoke about when he said, everyone else has deserted me and forsaken me, but the Lord stood with me. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, which means his proximity of his presence will never be far away from you and the emotions of his heart will always be towards you. That's who he is. In 2008, I was... We were pastoring our church, and we were in a building program, building our, our current sanctuary at one of our campuses, and uh, Jane and I were also building a house, which, by the way, I, I don't recommend building a multi-million dollar church and a house at the same time. Uh, it's, it's a lot. And we were in Australia. We were 12 years into pastoring the church. Jane and I were ministering in Australia. I was getting on a plane in Brisbane to fly to the north coast of Australia, and it had been a very busy season, very busy cycle. And I got on this plane and I sat down and I, I did not know what was happening to me. I became claustrophobic instantly. And uh, I started having heart palpitations. I thought I was dying. And I, I turned to Jane, I said, I think I'm having a heart attack. I have to get off this plane. I don't know what's going on. And Jane just said, well, let's just, let's pray. So she grabbed my hand and we prayed a little prayer. And uh, then the guy sat down next to me in the aisle, and so I'm in the middle, which is the worst seats in the world. I'm in the middle, and this guy sits down to me to the left, and all I wanted to do was just focus. I was like, I, I was scared. It's fearful, because I didn't know what was happening to me. And the guy next to me goes, are you okay? And I said, oh yeah, I'm okay, I'm just, he goes, I said, I'm having a little difficult time breathing. He goes, I uh, says, you're actually having an anxiety attack. I said, well, and he's an American. And I said, well, how do you know that? And he says, because... Uh, I'm, a, I'm a doctor, I'm a PhD in fellowship at the University of Denver in anxiety disorders. <laughs> and uh, all, the, all the signs are there. And, uh, and he looks at my wife's book and he goes, that's a Christian book, are you guys believers? I said, yeah. I, I said, I'm a pastor. And he says, yeah, I'm a Christian as well. He says, I, I just asked to switch seats. So I'm sitting in your seat. He says, obviously God is an assignment. And then next 30, uh, next 30, 40 minutes, he begins to break down what was happening to me and he speaks into my life. And it was just such a gift from God. I'm like, oh Lord, I'm good day, mate. Uh, I was just so glad he was there. And I got off that plane and I began, uh, I went into a season of time where the Father, where the Lord drew so close to me and began to speak to me about the motives of my heart. So the reason why you're stressed out and the reason why you're having panic attacks and anxiety is because you're not, you've confused kingdom ambition for selfish ambition. And Lee, you're stressed out because you're trying to build something to validate yourself. And all you need is my validation. And you gotta wrestle this thing down to the ground like Jacob wrestled with God and God changed his name from supplanter and deceiver and manipulator to Israel, one who was overcome with God. You gotta find your identity in me. That, I will say this, 2008 was the most difficult season of my life. Most difficult nine months of my life. It was the best nine months of my life because in the middle of the storm, I saw the other side of God. Just like the disciples saw the other side of Jesus in this particular moment. 
That's what storms do. Storms reveal things to us. And I wonder what's being revealed in our own lives right now. As here we are, we're, we're in this, this time period. The church, you know, it's been challenging for the church in general. It's been challenging for different states, different people, our kids, you know, not in schools, people working on Zoom, wondering about their, their finances. Uh, I, I came down here and ate in a restaurant yesterday which I haven't eaten in in months because I live in the People's Socialist Republic of Michigan. And, uh, and our restaurants are all closed. And I was like, oh, this is glorious. This is wonderful. And Tim, who's with me, one of my pastors, we just, we just enjoyed it. I don't even know if the food was all that good, but it just, it was a restaurant. I was like, glory. And I've, I've just, one of the things that I've developed in the middle of this period of time is a thankfulness is a thankfulness for the things that I used to take for granted. Because when you're in the storm, not only do you see the other side of you, you see the other side of God, and you have to ask the question, who am I going to partner with? Am I going to partner with the storm, or am I going to partner with the one who is in the boat who the wind and the waves obey? Because when they woke Jesus up, what does Jesus do? Oh, storm, wow, not prepared for this. No, Jesus stands up and he says, peace, be still. It was almost as if Jesus was in charge of the test. Now, I don't think that storms necessarily originate from God, but here's what I know about God. God never wastes a good storm. He works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's gonna use everything to develop you and to strengthen you. In the middle of the storm, fear comes because we're here and we remember the God who is the originator of our faith, but sometimes we fail to put our mind on the one who is also the finisher of our faith. How many of you in this room remember where you were when you encountered Jesus and you were saved, born again, became a Christian in your life? Raise your hand if you remember the moment or the time period. Okay, you remember that. Do you know that right now, even in the middle of your storm, Jesus not only remembers that moment, but he also knows just as well the finishing line of your faith. He's that confident because he is the author and the finisher. Jesus doesn't start things that he's not gonna finish. Jesus doesn't get in the boat and say, let's go to the other side and then get in the middle of it and go, I'm out of control. No, he's taking us to the other side. What he starts he will also finish. He is the one who the wind and the waves obey. But the disciples asked, who is this? Because there were parts of who Jesus was that they had not seen, that they did not understand, and it shocked them. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey? His name is Jesus. And the only thing that we take with us on the other side of the storm when the storm dies down, when the winds stop blowing, when the water gets smooth again, when time becomes, you know, kind of normal again, or whatever that new normal is, the only thing you have out of a storm is what you learn in the middle of it. That's what you take with you. And that is determined by who we partner with. Who are we going to obey? Are we going to obey the accusation of the enemy? Are we going to obey our own flesh that wants to get bitter and get angry 
and get frustrated. I've, as a pastor, over the, you know, this, this period of time of watching people, what I've seen is people are reacting the same way they always do, but just on an accelerant. It's just happening faster, more intensely. It's quicker. It's more severe because that's what a storm does. It's, the storm is the great accelerator. It will either accelerate your bitterness and your hard-heartedness towards God, or it will accelerate your tenderness and your devotion. You'll either lean in towards God or you're gonna lean back away from God. And that's what a storm does. And I've, I've watched this. I've watched some people in this period of time thrive. It's like, this has been hard, but my faith has gone to a whole nother level. I've seen God do things that I never believed he would do before, or I thought he would only do for other people. My prayer life has gone to a whole nother level. Uh, I'm connecting with the Lord. His word has come alive to me. It's been difficult, but my heart is tenderized. I'm becoming thankful for things. And I, I just so dependent on God, knowing that if he's not gonna do it, it's not gonna happen in my life. I've seen that, and I've also seen people just get hard, I've seen people just get bitter, angry, like a child who had their toys taken away. And they're just drawing away from the Lord. You know, it all boils down to the question of who will we obey? Are we going to obey the wind and the waves or are we going to obey the one who the wind and the waves obey? Who are we going to partner with? Are we going to partner with Jesus or are we going to partner with the storm? Because that's what happens. We pour our energy, we pour our thoughts, we pour our attitude, we pour our relationships either into the storm or we fix our eyes firmly on the one who's standing up in the middle of our boat right now. Jesus is standing up. And in the middle of this, you can either put your eyes on the storm or you can put your eyes on Jesus. Oh, and it's, it, it, I'll tell you what, it's so awesome to put your eyes on Jesus. Uh, there was a, a, a woman that I met one time in a bookstore in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and she had come out of World War II and uh, the Netherlands, so West Michigan is a big Dutch area, and so she immigrated from the Netherlands during the Netherlands and Nazi occupation. She lived in the Netherlands, and she watched everything that took place in there. So she, when I met her in the bookstore, she was like a 90-plus-year-old woman. I recognized her because she had written a book, and I had read it, and and I went up to her, introduced myself to her. She had a big old smile on her face and she spoke with kind of a Dutch accent on her English. And I just said, your book just so impacted me of how you went through persecution. She hid Jews like many people did in those days. And she was part of the underground church that was taking place there. And I just said, how did you keep your focus through all of those hard years? And she says, it was easy. I just kept my eyes on Jesus. She goes, I would just behold Jesus. And I'm like, but you know, it's harder now because restaurants aren't open. <laughs> it's, it's, so you see where I'm coming from. We, it, we can't keep our, I mean, it's hard. You get what I'm saying? It's like, man, if we're having a hard time with this, what are we gonna do when the pressure gets hotter? Who are we partnering with? You partner with Jesus and you get mobilized. You partner with the storm and you get paralyzed. So many people have just gotten paralyzed. But yet I believe what Jesus' purpose in the storm is not just what takes place in the middle of it. He's faithful to bring us through to the other side. 
Look at Mark chapter five, verse one. This is where the story culminates. It says in Mark 5, one, they came to the other side. Praise God, we're getting to the other side. He took them to the other side, to the country of the Gerasenes. And what did Jesus do? Jesus engaged in his greatest evangelistic deliverance ministry up until that point in his ministry. He encounters the demoniac in the tombs that nobody else can control, nobody else can set free. You know, it's desperate when you have somebody in your community that you can't help, and the only solution is to drag them out to the cemetery and chain them and leave them out there among the dead. That is a society that has basically given up on being able to help people. And right now what we're seeing in the middle of this season is our society and our culture realizing that the strength of man's hand is so weak and it cannot solve the problems that we are facing. We've got a whole generation of people who are bound like demoniacs in the tombstone of our society and culture, and our whole world has given up on them. But God's intention for the church in the middle of the storm is when we come through this, that we know the heart of God so well that when we arrive on the shores of the other side of this cultural moment, we're walking in a greater authority and a greater power and in a greater devotion to Jesus, and we begin to see people set free. We begin to see the lost coming in, prodigals coming back because they've encountered Jesus in this. And it's because we're no longer fans of Jesus. We're actually followers of Jesus because the storm forces our hand to say, I'm not gonna click a like and I'm not gonna join a club and I'm not gonna read a book and show up at church and be a part-time disciple. I'm going all in. I have beheld the one that the wind and the waves cannot overcome. And we come to the other side and we say we're partnering with God in this. We're partnering with God and saying, God, what is it that you have prepared me for in your eternal purpose that I'm not even aware of? I just thought I was here to breathe oxygen and drink Coke products and arrive safely on the comfortable shores of heaven. But right now, leaning over the balcony of heaven are the saints that have gone before us who are like, come on. You can see the finish line. You can't see it, but heaven can see it. And they're saying, come on, finish strong. Lean into Jesus. He's stronger than the storm. Come on, finish strong. Go all in. Love Jesus. Turn your prayer life up. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let your heart be so conformed into the image of his own son that the world looks at you and they see calm in you no matter what storm is around you. This is what God wants for us in this hour, but it all comes down to who are we going to partner with? John Wesley, who's one of my heroes, uh, founder of the Methodist movement, in 1735 was sailing from England to Georgia, and he was, a Mar- or he was a, uh, an Anglican clergy member. He was highly educated, came from a great church family, Him and his brother were on their way on a mission to the American colony of Georgia, and in the middle of it, they hit a storm. It was probably a tropical storm or a hurricane, but whatever it is, it lasted several different days, and as you would expect, everyone on on board feared for their lives. Some people were fearful. No one would eat. They were hunkering down, sickness, despair, hopelessness, but in the middle of it all, there was a group, of, a group of men and women who responded differently. They were the Moravians, a group of 
men and women that had come from Europe. They had gathered together under this guy named Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, a place called Hernhut, and many of them gave themselves into servitude and slavery in order to bring the gospel to the West Indies. They were a missions movement, a prayer movement. I know you guys have heard of them because David can't preach a message without quoting, worthy is the lamb who is worthy to receive the rewards of his suffering. That came from the Moravians. And Wesley began to observe this group of men and women when everybody else was in a panic, when everybody else had lost hope and everybody else was fearful. They were huddled together, praying, breaking bread and serving communion, singing hymns and caring for one another. And it impacted John Wesley so much that when he came back to the UK, when he came back to England, he sought out their meetings and it was in that meeting that he experienced the, encountered the presence of the Lord. It's where he really was thrust into revival ministry. In the midst of this storm, are we gonna be those on board of our ship that are despairing, hopeless, just trying to survive, get through? Are we gonna take the invitation to partner with Jesus, gather together, pray, find our confidence in the broken body and the broken bread of Jesus, pray for one another, and build our life around his presence? If we'll do that, if we'll do that, there will be peace in the midst of the storm, not just for us, but for those around us. Wesley approached the Moravians and he said, were you not afraid? This is after the storm. Were you not afraid? What would happen if some people on the other side of this period, whatever it looks like, at someday ask you, were you not afraid? Say no, because of the one who is with me in the middle of it all. That's the confidence that we have. I want you to stand with me if you would this morning. I want to pray for us and not out of some ritual or religious obligation, but just simply so that we can have some space between us and the Lord. Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes? Today, many of you, even online who are watching, we're here, maybe the storm has shaken you. You've realized, I really am not following Jesus. I have a belief in Jesus. I acknowledge his, you know, he's Lord, but it hasn't impacted my life to this moment. And now I've experienced the shaking and the storm and the unveiling. And I know for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, that I'm not right with God that I need to establish, I need to repent and I need to, see God, to say, God, forgive me today. I'm taking my eyes off of other things, things that I thought were dependable, things I thought were strong. And today I'm saying, Jesus, from this point forward, I'm making you Lord of my life. You will become my first love. I'm returning to you. I'm surrendering to you, Jesus. I, you can call it whatever you want to, but today, Jesus, I'm choosing. I want to partner with you. I want to surrender my life completely to you, and I know I need to get right with you. I want to pray with those of you, even online, there's a place in the chat, but if, if you're here in this room and you know that you need to get your heart right with God and the storm has impacted you, 
You're putting your eyes on Jesus saying, pray for me today. I need to get my life right with God. I want you to just raise your hand if you would. I want to pray and include you in a moment in a prayer. Thank you. Thank you. I see that. Come on. Do not wait for another storm to come. Do not wait for another moment. If you've not raised your hand, raise it right now. And we're going to pray just a moment. Thank you. I see that as well. I see this hand. I want everyone to pray out loud with me this prayer, even online, if you would. Just say, Heavenly Father, today I surrender. Jesus, you are Lord. And I repent trying to be master of my own life. Come into my life. Sit on the throne and be my Lord and Savior. From this day forward, I turn my back on my sin, self-sufficiency, and I surrender my whole life to you. Save me. Fill me. Speak to me. Thank you for loving me giving your life for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, one more thing. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you would. If you'd say, you know what? I know I'm already, I'm a Christian. This is, that's not a, that call is not for me, but I will say this, that in the storm, I've experienced both the fear and the doubt, and I'm making a concerted decision that in this moment, moving forward, I'm asking Jesus, stand up in my boat because I want to partner with you and not the storm. I'm no longer going to let the storm dictate my emotions, my decisions, my disposition. Today, Jesus, I'm declaring I'm partnering with you all the way to the other side. If you know that you need to make that declaration to the Lord, I just want you to raise your hand all over the room. Several, several of us, several of us, several. Lord, you see these hands, you know our heart. Holy Spirit, we need you. Come and meet us in this moment and confirm. We're inviting you in and now, Holy Spirit, we need you to come and do what only you can do. You give us not only the will to do it, but the ability to do it. And Lord, you're not hiding from us, you're hiding for us and we're setting our heart to put our eyes on you right now, no matter what else comes on the scene and trust that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And when we come to the other side of this moment and we move into the things you have in the future, we will not be shaken because our feet are firmly planted on you, the rock that is higher than us. In Jesus' name.